My wife sets the clay pot down before me and raises the lid, swiping wisps of steam away from my face. What's this? I bellow. Maybe it's stew, she says. I inhale sharply, raising my eyebrows and set my gaze upon my two sons, their pallid faces returning a mixture of fear and expectation. Rabbit's chew? I remark quizzically, keeping my sight fixed firmly on the plain faces staring back at me, blank as the bowls before them. Then, pray tell, wife, believest thou that which be chewed by hair ought to befit the mouth of man? As is her custom in this routine, she keeps her tongue at rest and doubles the inquisitive parental gaze upon our sons. Ralph is four, and Ralph will be two in four weeks. Neither of them yet understand the key pun in this charade that would afford the latter the quality of light-hearted merriment before supper. Instead, each of him endures the hostile rubric of patriarchy as he sups timidly at his stew. After this, it is mostly the soft clinking of spoons and the gentle supping of fluids, occasionally interrupted by the twitching of Gary Alderlick's wings as she ruffles her feathers.
used to dress up as a womble and do the kiddies' parties. Sometimes I'd even get a fee if I was booked by the parents. The other times, well, it was the 70s, the 1470s. The common of Wimbledon back then was still very much thriving with the semi-autonomous activity of Wimbledon. You could buy a pewter tankard with the Harley-Davidson coat of arms etched into the mug floor. That symbol of freedom and the open road would greet your squiffy eyes as you drained the last dregs of your mugwort and thistle porter. You could buy a tiny tapestry of Pete Townsend's face. Well, I say face, but of course it was more of a crude silhouette. A hurriedly stitched profile in black lambswool. But you had to hand it to them. The Wombles of Wimbledon Common in the late 15th century were an industrious lot. Especially by today's standards. You could buy a, a hairnet woven by a genuine courtesy spider. And they would have it done for you there on the spot. The spider would ostentatiously devenomize its fangs. You'd sign a disclaimer and it would start to weave a lattice over your actual head as you sat on the stump of a willow and replatted the leather straps of your axe handle. You could buy replacement billiard tables, weird wooden mushroom things carved from the soft trunk of a local elm. You could buy a pair of gardening gloves with the traitor Flavian Titchmarsh's severed hands still inside, keeping their form. Nobody really believed they were the genuine traitor's hands because every third gardening store had a pair, but shoppers were prepared to entertain the fantasy, especially considering what that bastard had done. You could buy a bird calling whistle that was guaranteed to never work, imported as it was from the equally industrious courts of Loristan, between which and Wimbledon Common, however, no migratory species had ever been recorded. You could buy a first edition of Lord Saxe's seminal work, what am a woman, bound in the reconstituted scrotal tissue of the Sumatran rhinoceros. But you have to realise that the Wombles of the 15th century were fairly respected, and though not quite socially integrated, they were largely due to the dainty class's appetite for folkish handicrafts, nobly tolerated. As long as they continued to pay their special levy to the crown, their weekly fee to the Borough of Wimbledon's Parks and Open Spaces Commission, and forfeit any aspirations they might have of owning any property whatsoever, other than their wretched and filthy subterranean stench holes. The point is, wombling up for the kiddies' party scene in the 1470s was a dignified endeavour. When you went into the room, the kiddies' faces would light up they'd almost be immobilised with reverence. Whether you'd come as Bungo, Orinoco, or Great Uncle Bulgaria. These days, you'd be lucky if a kiddie even knew what a womble was.